All right, this really is going to be a short one. I'm not just messing with Sislowski. It's going to be a short one because I don't have as much to say this week because I think L.A. just turns my brain to mush. I just don't. I'm trying to write stuff. I can write my sports stuff here just fine, but the chrysalis.com, chrysalis.substack.com pieces, just nothing's coming to me. I have a couple ideas, but haven't really fleshed them out. It's just weird. I think it's also because Sasha's not in camp, so we're like doing all this random shit with her every day. And I'm not just kind of sitting there in my routine. You know, in, in Lisbon, I'm going for a run at the track, and then I walk home and I get ideas. And here I'm just like waking up. And today, though, uh, Heather took Sasha for the day, so I've got the place to myself. And uh, I do have a couple stories, a couple L.A. stories that uh, <laughs> that I think are kind of – Noteworthy. Anyway, the uh, the other reason I can't think this week, well, I'll, I'll get to that in a minute. Um, we just got back from Palm Springs last night, and my uncle lives in Palm Springs. He's 87, and you never know when it's the last time. I don't. He looks pretty good for 87, but you never know. So we go out to see him when we're here, and that was good. Stayed at the hotel. It was hot as hell, obviously, in Palm Springs. It was like 110. Did some shopping at Cabazon. I think it was more dangerous to set Sasha loose in Cabazon. You know, Cabazon is it's that outlet outside of uh, Palm Springs where there's like every store. Like, I don't like Nike stuff, but Sasha goes crazy for it and Adidas and, you know, and 20 other stores. So she's 11. She's into fashion. She likes to draw stuff. So she went bananas. She was walking super fast. And she and I, Heather was on her own and, and I took Sasha and she and I were fighting because I was buying stuff too for myself and she didn't want to you know be with me buying stuff but i didn't want to go to her stores and buy stuff with her so we're in this constant fight and i let her get some t-shirts that were probably too expensive for her age because it was like a bribe to let me get the stuff i was trying to get so i was shopping with an 11 year old girl yesterday and fighting with her over uh, who got to pick out what anyway it was a success we got a bunch of stuff it's good it's on sale discounted why you go to those places hot as hell then on the way back we went through uh well i'm not going to tell the whole story it's just uh i'm not going to go through all of it we went to chinese food in san gabriel valley it was pretty good but i actually think szechuan impression is better than Chengdu taste and i told heather to find a new one like those were the two ones from a few years ago i don't know if there's like a new one that's even better but i think szechuan impression is better than Chengdu taste at least last night last night changed it was still good don't get me wrong it's legit chinese legit szechuan food but um didn't quite, we didn't quite order the right stuff. It was decent. Anyway, so here's here's a couple stories. Here's the story I want to tell. So we're at this uh, beach house. I don't want to say whose house it is because it'll get them in trouble. But we're hanging out there, having a good time, having a few drinks. And the woman there tells me that she has baked this butter with uh, with THC with weed in it, and she shows it to me. It's like this big tub of butter, and it's for making you know, pot brownies or cookies or whatever, edibles. And she asked me if I want to taste it. So I'm like, sure. So I stick my pinky in there and I've had a few drinks, as I said, and I just kind of taste it and taste like butter, but it has a little of this like aftertaste of weed. And I'm like, oh, it doesn't taste too bad. She's like, yeah, that's what we're supposed to use to bake these brownies, but we never got around to it. So it's just sitting there in this tub. So we're hanging out, having a couple more drinks. She, she leaves actually. And I'm telling her, and we're talking about weed, which I smoke rarely these days. 
And I said, you know, I've probably smoked weed a thousand times and literally like 40% of the times I've smoked it, I've overdosed. Like I'm not, I don't think that's an exaggeration. Like I just so rarely just get that little bit and everything's fine. Uh, I, about half the time I overdose and I'm extremely paranoid and uh, in a bad situation and I'm kind of fucked. It's happened to me so many times in my life. I, you know, a wiser person would just probably stop smoking it. Anyway, so she leaves and, uh, you know, I've had a few drinks. I'm waiting for that little bit that I have with my pinky to kick in about half an hour, 45 minutes, nothing's happening. So I get some chips and I start dipping into the butter a little bit. Wait another half hour, 45 minutes, nothing's really happening. So I get some carrots. I start dipping that into the butter. And pretty soon I've had like a good, I made a little dent in the tub. Not, I mean, it's, it's butter. It's, you know, not any like half of it or anything. I ate probably like five or 10% of it. So, okay, we say goodbye to everybody at the house and we, Heather's driving and we drive to uh, a friend's house who has a daughter Sasha's age and we're meeting them at the house for a minute and then we're going to this uh, really good Mexican place. So we're hanging at the house and this friend who's pretty cool and actually um, when I overdosed last summer and I did overdose when I was wandering around my old house wondering whether I was time traveling, whether I just imagined the six years in Portugal. She was there. And so I know like she doesn't care, but I, I was, you know, I didn't even think anything of it because I was just normal. And then I have a couple glasses of wine there, have a conversation. And you know, I've had probably six drinks, but it's over six hours and we're hanging out. And so Sasha goes with that woman and her daughter to in their car and Heather's driving our car. So I'm just sitting there with Heather. We're having this conversation on the way to the restaurant. And all of a sudden I just start saying some shit and I'm listening to myself and I'm like, Oh, I'm high. Like this is, I'm just saying some random the shit I'm saying doesn't make any sense. So I tell her, I think this, the edible butter that I was eating is kicking in. She's like, uh Oh, so we get to dinner, a great restaurant, but it kicked in hard and I'm sitting there just trying to be cool because there's kids there. And, you know, I had this friend, our friend doesn't care at all. Like that wouldn't be the big deal. So I make it through and then we got to drive back to the valley and I'm sitting in the back seat because this is normal because Sasha, whoever's not driving, gets kicked in the back seat because Sasha insists. I actually sometimes fight her physically. I'll like wrestle her for the front seat, you know, big brawl over it because she's so uh, stingy and unfair. But Heather just accepts her role and sits in the back. But I let Sasha have it like two thirds of the time, but like a third of the time. I'm like, look, you, you rode in the front the whole way uh, and I'll fight you, you know, and I'll, I'm taking it now. And then we get into a physical fight. And eventually she'll give in if I, if I really insist on like pushing her out. But anyway, I'm in the back, which is fine. It's dark out. And normally I'm pretty chatty and I'm just not saying a word. First of all, I'm positive we're going to get into an accident because um, I'm so paranoid. And second, luckily I'm in the back seat playing music. Make it back. I'm starting to think, I'm like, all right, I'm going to sleep. And Heather knows what's up, but Sasha has no idea. And all of a sudden, I think I'm hearing someone break into the house. But I know because I've been in the state, like, as I said, half the time. I just like, I just don't know what the hell. I just don't know how to dose the shit. I mean, it's impossible to do it when it's like a tub of butter because you have no idea what went into there. So I like come out. I'm like, hey, I think you should arm the house, arm the alarm. And Heather's like, okay, okay, no problem. She's like rolling her eyes. Like, okay, I know what the deal's with him. Anyway, it was fine. And, you know, after a lot of paranoia and a lot of uh, very far-fetched 
uh, imaginings. I woke up the next day and, and was totally fine. But yet another time of trying to responsibly have just a little bit of the weed infused butter and absolutely overdosing uh, and being out of my mind. And then, so that's one LA thing. This is every summer it happens to me at least once in LA. And then today I got the house to myself. Heather's not coming home till later. Sasha's sleeping over at her cousin's house. And I, I'm talking to Tim Schuler about the steak dinner, which is coming up tomorrow night. You know, the steak side bet steak league. We, uh, the losers have to buy the winter steaks and I'm one of the losers this year. It's a rare thing, but I am this year and I'm gonna have to shell out some money, but it's all right. You know, the way I look at it is I'm paying a third of the check. The double buyer, may he rest in peace, is going to pay half the check. And then the single buyer pays a sixth of the check, basically pays for himself. There's six of us. But if you think about it from my standpoint, I pointed this out before, everything for me is two thirds off. So I'm paying a third of the check no matter what I order. So if I order lobster and it's a hundred bucks, I'm only paying $33 more for every hundred bucks I order. So it's a real moral hazard for everybody. The eaters don't care because they're just, eating for free. And even the double buyer who's paying for half the check, really everything's half price for him because he's only paying half of it. So everybody has an incentive to order as much as possible. It's really interesting that by paying an average of the check, instead of just paying for what you order, it distorts everything. It's kind of a, it's probably a deeper lesson in that, that, you know, how people say, oh, on average, running backs don't matter. On average, you're more likely to take up an ICU bed on average, this and that. It just shows you like how distorting that way of thinking is because on average, everybody's paying his share, right? The I'm paying for myself and one other, the doubles paying for himself and two others and the singles paying for himself. So on average, you know, one half, one third, one sixth is what we're due. But the problem is we're, we're paying on average. We're not paying for ourselves and what one particular person ordered. We're just paying for the whole check. And that distorts all of the incentives. Something to think about in terms of, uh, the way society is based on averages and statistics, how distorting some of the incentives are. Anyway, so I'm talking about the steak dinner uh, with Shu because it's tomorrow night and he's offered me a ride, which is nice. And he's like, you know, we're short guys for softball today. You want to play softball? And there's a couple of things. I used to play in this league every week for about five years from like 2002 to 2007 ish. And it was fun, but it's a long time ago. That's the last time I played. Then I hurt my ankle. I stopped playing. Then I moved to Portugal. Obviously, I stopped playing. And, but I'm also out in the valley. So I was like, all right, well, no, I don't think so. I mean, you're going to have to give me a ride, a glove, and some cleats. I need three things. It's going to be hard to get. He texts me back saying, we got size 11 cleats. I'm size 10, but I could probably make it work. Got a glove for you. And we got a guy coming from the valley who's happy to pick you up and drop you off. So now, you know, then this is a nine o'clock at night game, but it's kind of, you know, I didn't want to deal because I'm lazy and I sort of have work to do, although I have all day and I've been procrastinating it, doing a little here and there, but how can I say no to that? Right. He's giving me the cleats, the glove, the car, the ride. And these are guys, some of them I don't know because they're new, but some of them are still the same guys I played with from 2002 to 2007 when I was in my early thirties. And, you know, now I'm 52. Now, the other thing he told me, they had won the league last year. I don't think they're as good this year. I don't think this game is meaningful to them. But they moved, you know, when I was playing, we was it was pretty competitive. Like we had uh, Brendan Ryan, who's the brother of the guy who runs the league. And Brendan was, you know, on the Yankees, on the Cardinals, Mariners, played Major League Baseball, won a gold glove. So <laughs> he's really good at softball. And there are a couple other really good guys. 
And then they moved up a level and they just won the championship last year against guys in their 30s moving up a level. Well, I think Brendan's probably like 38 or 40 or something now. But, you know, so these guys are good. And I haven't played in 15 years and I wasn't even that good when we played. I was all right. I could hang at the level we were at on that team then. I contributed. But now I haven't played in 15 years and I'm playing with cleats that are too big. But I couldn't say no because uh, what a trip to be back there at that field like it was 15 years ago. I should probably eat some of that butter and really trip and be like, where the hell am I? What the hell happened? Am I just imagining that I have this family? This whole thing. So I'm looking forward to it. I'm, I'm hopefully not going to embarrass myself. So it's high arc also. It's not fast pitch. So it's like they throw the ball like 20 feet in the air. And if it hits the plate, it's a strike. And the plate has this like extension on the back. And so sometimes the ball's coming straight down like to your back shoulder just from like this rainbow, like, you know, 30 feet in the air and it's coming down and you got to wait for it to kind of step back and try to hit it. I'm going to have to look at a pitch or two before I can uh, calibrate it. But it is hard. I even remember back then with not as good of pitchers in the higher level league where, you know, it's just really hard to have the patience to wait for the ball, to the softball to drop to like waist level, you know, or just above waist level when you start your swing, right? You, you, you start it usually when it's at eye level, and you swing and miss, or you just ground out, pop up. So we'll see. It should be fun. So I'm doing that. It's going to be kind of a trip. It's been a, it's been a good trip so far. You know, when I, as I said, we saw my uncle and bought the stuff I needed to buy. I have all these things I got to do in LA and so far so good. I got a couple other friends I want to see. I already made plans with them. It's like, uh, and we're going to Colorado for a week and then, uh, back to Lisbon and then on to France for, uh, couple weeks in August. Hopefully France is not still on fire by the time we get there. Again, I don't have that much to talk about, to be honest. It's a couple of those stories. Bitcoin is blowing up. It looks like the vanguards and the black rocks are kind of getting in. Just say never sell, you know, to people. People when it was down to 16,000, they said, what do I do? I don't know. But just never sell. Just don't do anything. Be cool. And also Vanguard bought stock in Marathon and Riot, which are two Bitcoin miners. In fact, I own those stocks. I sold Marathon when it was low because I read some dumbass Twitter thread that it was going out of business. Really stupid. And it was the more corporate one. And I kept Riot. Riot's gone way up. It's now I, I, I'd lost like 75% on Riot and now I'm up like a couple percent. It's gone all the way back up. Um, so they're buying Bitcoin miners. They're trying to get Bitcoin for their clients. And you never know. Again, I'm, you know, I'm not going to predict the market in the short term, but it just seems like it's lining up for quite a bit. The dollar's getting crushed. The euro's going up. That's painful for me. That actually really affects us. Um, it's gone up about 4% in the last week and a half, two weeks maybe. And you know, 4%'s a lot. Add 4% to every expense you have. It's, uh, it's no joke, but it, it had gone down quite a bit. So we'll see what happens with that. But I'm extremely bullish on Bitcoin. Do not sell. That's all I'm going to say. Do not sell. Unless you're desperate. But I, I think it's interesting because like those stocks, I panic sold Marathon. But I didn't sell MicroStrategy and that's already back. You know, I'd lost a ton of money on that. Uh, MicroStrategy is Michael Saylor's company and he owns like you know, 180,000 Bitcoins or something. And that's where most of the value of the company is. And so it's become like a proxy for owning Bitcoin. Better to own the real thing, but you know, a lot of your retirement funds, you can't own it. You, ha you have to own stocks, stocks and bonds. So it's kind of a proxy. There's going to maybe be 
ETFs coming soon. But um, a lot of people own MicroStrategy for that reason. And when I got hit pretty hard, but I never sold any of it. And now it's getting back to even and you know, we'll see what happens. But it just shows like I bought too much. I bought too much for my size portfolio probably. But I didn't buy so much that I panic sold. And that just shows it was a good trade. Like you, now you'd be like, oh, why don't I get more? You know, it was lower when I was buying it when it was cheaper because I did buy a lot when it was cheaper. But I, again, I didn't buy so much that I had to sell it. And that's, that's the issue, right? It's like, oh, I wish I'd bought more of this. Yeah, after the fact, it's easy to say that. But the key to make it being, you know, doing a good job as an investor is buying only so much of the stuff that you really believe in that you can weather downturns. And that's, then you know you bought the right amount. If you bought so much that you panic sell, like I did with that one stock, but I was just stupid. I just read something. Just also shows don't just like get captured by analysts' reports, even if they're compelling. It was a small amount. I, I didn't own very much of it, a couple thousand bucks worth of stock. It wasn't much, but still, I'm just pissed because it's, it's double where I sold it right now. It just, you know, just shows like the, the sizing of your bets is important. It's, uh, it's got to be something you can tolerate. So we will see, but it seems pretty bullish. The setup and inflation is it's weird because inflation is nominally low. And when inflation is nominally low, that means that the market thinks that they won't have to raise rates further to tame inflation because that's why they raise rates ostensibly. And so they think, okay, they're going to lower rates and then stocks will go up. So stocks are going up uh, even though inflation is down, which just doesn't really make any sense because if inflation is down, that means the dollar is worth more. Paradoxically, inflation's down and the dollar is worth less. That just doesn't make any sense. It's just so weird. Everything's trading based on what the Fed might do, not on any fundamentals about the dollar. Um, and that is just a very strange place to be in, but it's just at least in the short term, that's how our markets are trading. And you have to, I guess, respect that the market is doing what the market's doing. I guess one serious topic, a couple of serious topics. Okay, I forgot. I wrote these things down. Um, there's this guy, the ethical skeptic, and he was modeling the amount of mRNA shot deaths and disabilities the last couple of years. And his numbers seem to match up with Edward Dowd, former BlackRock executives, um, insurance company-based estimates. So these these things are kind of dovetailing. These two, you know, a couple hundred thousand people dying per year, 500,000 people total. But he doesn't just do mRNA analysis. He also does, he's also into other subjects. And one of them is... Um, global warming. And he actually, it's an interesting take and made me think, and it actually makes me a little worried, but he said that there's been extreme warming in the last six months and something like 40% of the total warming of the last 20 years has happened in like six months, something, but it's something crazy. Like there's like 30, 40% of the warming in certain areas. It's like 60% of the warming happened in a very, very short span. And that would mean that is not that cannot be attributed to uh, carbon dioxide or climate change as it's uh, currently understood or currently promoted by the globalists. That this is not the cause of this actual warming. And he's you know goes through it and he says basically the only thing that can explain this level of warming in such a short time is the, the Earth's exothermic core giving off heat. And you know, everyone knows the center of the Earth is very hot volcanoes and there could be undersea volcanoes. There could be heat coming from the earth's core. And if you had a super volcano, which is a civilization ending catastrophe 
above ground. You could have something like that underwater and heating, heating the oceans a massive amount, a gigantic hundred mile wide, you know, eruption of some kind. I'm not saying he, I'm probably, I'm probably not exactly doing his theory justice and he lays it out much more clearly and I'm probably botching like five things. So don't, don't use my shoddy half-assed recounting of it. It's not, to me, it's not really, the important thing isn't what the cause is. I mean, you can get it. I mean, it's important, but it's not important to what I'm about to say. So that's why I'm a little sloppy on this actual causation, but you should read his site. It's, it's very uh, well argued. It's not like just some loose speculation. But if that's the case, right, if there is extreme warming over the last, you know, six months or a year based on exothermic core activity from the earth itself, not from gases in the atmosphere, as is alleged, then we're going to have a problem because it's going to feed the narrative, even if it's not from that cause. So they're still going to want to be like, you can't travel, you can't eat meat, you can't do X, Y, and Z. We need to control you. We need to have lockdowns, whatever. If there's climate events based on this extreme heating that has nothing to do with, uh, for, for reasons totally other than, than they've ascribed them to, just like the excess death in New York, which drove most of the excess death or a good chunk of it um, in March and April of 2020, was likely from the response to COVID, not prior. Uh, I mentioned Jessica Hockett, Twitter. She lays out the case. She's like, there was no excess death before the testing until after that. Like there should have been a ramp up of excess death. The, the idea that there's this virus coming and then the virus is everywhere. Well, there should have been a period where it was half of everywhere or a quarter of everywhere. And there should have been excess deaths then, and then it should have ramped up. But there was, until they started testing, there was none, no excess at all. So that is kind of a, a red flag. You wouldn't expect it to just be all at once. You'd expect this to have been there. And there's evidence that the, the Wuhan games they had in like October of 2019, I think, sort of seeded it. There's, it was showed up pretty early in places like Italy and Spain and other places. So we had excess death, certainly in New York and a few other places. And, and on average, that drove up the average, as I said. And then all of a sudden, there was this lockdowns and all the stuff. But what if the excess death, and I actually think this is hard to argue at this point, wasn't primarily from COVID. It was from the reaction to COVID, or at least a large portion of it. And the excess death attributed attributable to COVID itself you know, might have been on par with the flu season, and, and they wouldn't have locked everybody down. So similarly, even though they misattributed the cause of the excess, having any excess was enough to panic people and justify in their minds all sorts of restrictive measures that violated your rights. And I'm concerned that if the ethical skeptic's correct, and he may not be, but I think there is recently been some record set heat waves and things like that. Not that a week of heat waves is, is a big deal on, it, on its own, but he's saying that there's significant warming starting in around March, a few weeks in March, things went a little crazy. And if that is actually true, then in a way to them, it doesn't matter the cause, right? As long as they can sell people on the cause and it does, and it is true. And there are effects like we'll see how hurricane season is or whatever, then we could have a major problem. You know, anytime you have this sort of global warming industry, anytime you have these kind of COVID WHO recommendations or regulations or protocols. I saw a good video. Um, someone I know, I won't mention by name, sent me this video. 
And uh, it was basically saying that as a rule of thumb, when the solution has to be global, then uh, you should be very suspicious. When it's not, when it's not, this happened here and we're going to address it. It's got Nick Hudson had a video um, just explaining that, you know, when you ever have, it's the world needs to do this. That's a huge red flag. We need to comply globally with this. That's a big red flag. But it may well be that there is some global heating and I'm not, you know, what you would do about that would be very different if it's just totally out of our control, maybe nothing, or maybe there's some measures to take to, you know, save yourself, your families, depending on where you live, obviously, but it's not, you know, what the WEF has in store for you, which is basically um, consume nothing, consume less energy, live at a lower, have a lower standard of living, teach your kids to expect less out of life. That is not the solution. So that was one thing that's kind of, kind of got an eye on that I'm a bit concerned about. Other thing I just want to bring up is when I was uh, at one of these nice houses on the beach, uh, that Wimbledon was on and there was a match between a Ukrainian and I don't know where the other one was from. I don't think it was Russia, but Ukraine and somewhere. And one of these neoliberals who I know there comes up to me and she says, you got to be rooting for the Ukrainian, right? But earnestly, not sarcastically, like you got to be rooting for her, aren't you? And I just didn't say anything, but I started thinking about it. And the idea is you want to root for the underdog, root for Ukraine. They're victims. They're victims of Russia's horrible invasion. But if you think about it, at least from the educated West and from where a tennis player stands, right? It's probably if you're Ukrainian and you're a professional tennis player, everyone's probably like, oh, you're so sorry. I'm so sorry. But if you're Russian and you're a professional tennis player, people are like, your country's evil, denounce your country. And so obviously, you know, they have families and stuff too. So I'm not minimizing, you know, what could be going on with their family, but for the sort of tennis player who got out, who's in the round of 16 or quarterfinals of of Wimbledon, that person is going to be treated very well. And the person who's going to be treated poorly is going to be the Russian. If, you know, some people thankfully don't care. They don't blame individuals who are from a country on the conduct of their entire country. Um, That's sort of the basis of racism, right? It's like, oh, someone of your race did this and I don't like that. So I'm going to blame everybody of the race. That's what racism is. Your tribe, my tribe. This is, instead of being, you know, I don't know if you call it racist, discriminate against ethnic Russians. I guess you could call it racism against Russians. You know, because of Putin doing something, you just treat them as individuals. That's the, that's not being racist, right? You're not, they're not, just because they came from a country doesn't mean that they are responsible for what other people of similar ethnicity do. And if you ask yourself, like, who are you allowed to mock and talk shit about? It's going to be Russians. You know, if, if you say something that's out, out of step with the narrative, they say you're a Russian shill, you know, it's, it's a slur, you know, Russian, you can say, talk shit about Russians. And I, I think like when you want to find who the underdog is, it's not who the corporate media and talking heads on TV and the celebrities and the, uh, and all your neoliberal friends and everybody with power is protecting. That's not, that's not the person who, that person is already being protected. That class of people is already being protected. The, the person who's the underdog, the real underdog, is the person you can talk shit about, the person you can mock. Who are you allowed to mock? I mean, I could get on Twitter and talk shit about rednecks. I, could, I can make fun of 
uh, white men who were dumb fucks from God knows where, middle of nowhere, and I could, I could mock them ruthlessly. And I think the discerning on people on Twitter would be put off by that. They'd find it distasteful. But I, I don't think I would get any like warnings or my account shut down. Those people you're allowed to mock. I could mock Russians. If, you know, th- those people you're allowed to mock. But if you were to mock Jewish people, black people, uh, Ukrainians, um, you would get in big trouble. You would get your account throttled. People would unfollow you. They'd be aghast. You'd be canceled. And so it wasn't always the case, right? I mean, it used to be that people were very mean to black people, very mean to Muslims, very mean to gay people. That was They were all people that were openly mocked. Jimmy Dory has a hilarious bit he just put on Twitter about how used to people used to make gay jokes in the nineties. Just everybody thought that was fine. And he said that he used to make uh, pro gay jokes not, and, and the, some gay people afterwards say, I really appreciate that. And he said, no, no, no I'm, I'm not doing it for you. I'm just doing it to piss everybody else off. Cause I like to piss everyone off. You know, that was real for a, for a long time, but now Let's be honest, the people that you can publicly mock without consequence, those are the underdogs now. Those are the underdogs now. And I know I know it's not fashionable to say that. I know you're supposed to think that the people that the corporate America says are the are the underdogs have to be the underdogs. But as soon as they adopt, it's kind of like when they asked around the NFL and they said, who's the most overrated player? And a whole bunch of people said Terrell Owens. And I said, if they're all saying he's overrated, he can't be overrated, right? Because them saying it means they, they don't think he's that good. Now, he was probably underrated. In fact, if everyone's saying you're overrated, you're probably underrated. And if you understand how that works, if everyone says you're underrated, you're no longer underrated because they all actually are rating you as underrated, which means they think you're good. So if everybody is saying, you can't say this about gay people, black people, Jewish people, Hispanic people, you can't talk shit about Asians, then those are no longer the underdogs by definition. The underdogs are the people that you can totally shit on, even if historically that wasn't the case. So regular people, working class people, and and actually that's who I feel, that's who I root for. Like these people, when I go to a coffee shop or a grocery store or a restaurant and you see this person earnestly waiting tables, doing his job, doing a good job, being friendly and and doing his job with integrity. And I know that the wage they're getting is not enough to live on. And the government is printing more money and diluting them all the time. They probably don't even realize it, but this guy's showing up, providing value, making your experience better, actually, you know, doing the job well and making your experience at the restaurant or coffee shop or wherever better. Um, I feel bad for them. I'm like, this is, you're getting deceived. You're getting cheated. And you're, and you're not sitting here, you know, online, at least when I'm seeing them, you're not typing into your keyboard, talking about how victimized you are. You're actually just creating value for society. You're doing a job and you're getting paid, but you're, you're probably not getting paid commensurate with um, the value you're providing because even though the market only bears that, it's not taking into account the inflation, the printing, the dilution. So I root for those people. If somebody does a nice job, waitress, waiter, I'm like, I always think like, you know, I hope that guy does well. I, I, you know, I always feel like that's who I, that's the underdog. That's somebody who's earnest. 
And, and these sort of like woke people, what, what is being woke? What is that whole like, it, it's, it's like you're trying to seem like a virtuous person. You're trying to show others that you're aligned with the underdog, that you care, that you're good. You're trying to seem good. And I feel like those people are playing a game. They're playing a, a reputational popularity game that they're, they're gaming the system. Now, I think they're doing it poorly in the end, but they're, they're playing a game. They're not like if someone's waiting tables and doing a good job, they're adding value. They're like, okay, I'm going to trade some labor and value for some money. And that's not a game. That's actually just providing value and getting paid for it. Yet these other people, they, it seems like they got a college degree and they're complaining about the debt that they voluntarily incurred and they got deceived too. I feel bad actually. They you know, were led to believe that the college would lead to something more, but you know, they're cynical in a way. You know, they, they're trying to get, have someone pay for their debt it's going to be everybody else, right? If the government pays, not, there's no government. The government's not a guy with money, a rich guy. Government's not like Elon Musk or something. The government is everybody. It's all the people. So they're trying to get the government to pay, which is everybody to pay for their choice as, you know, at least an adult that's legally accountable, right? Like if, you, if you're a woke person and you see someone say a racial slur on Twitter, you want to hold them accountable, right? You want them to be canceled, destroyed, right? Even if they're 18 or 20. So if you... They're old enough to be accountable for that. You're old enough to be accountable for the loan you took out, right? I mean, if you're of age to be canceled, right? that's a pretty big draconian thing. You're of age to go to jail if you commit an actual crime. You're of age to be responsible for debts you voluntarily incurred, even if it was bullshit and even if you were deceived. And I do feel, I, I do legitimately feel bad about them uh, being, you know, not understanding what they were getting. But now that they're there, they become cynical. And they're playing a game. And, you know, so I just, I root for the people who add value. And I root for some of the people that you're allowed to talk shit about. I feel like those are the people that I don't think we should be talking shit about any group like that personally. You know, I, I do think all jokes should be legally protected speech, even if they're offensive. I think we should have a legal right to offend or to say stuff that, you know, offense is a choice to take but we should have a legal right to say stuff that is very likely to be offensive to many people. You don't have to like a person. You don't have to patronize their work anymore after they do that. But I think they have the right to do it. I don't think we should try to stop them from speaking whatever they, way they want. But I don't think we should you know, do that. I think we should, they should have the right. But I think people as decent people who um, know there, are his, there is a history should be respectful of other people. And, you know, I don't think they need to tiptoe around anybody, but I think like certain obvious rules, smart to follow them. And, and you know, that, that I think is obvious. So um, anyway, that's just uh, another thought. I have a rap I wanted to do, but I kind of got into my serious shit before it. And so now, you know, it's going to be a little disjointed to, I was just, maybe I'll just transition this way. And by transition, I just mean change subjects is that my friend and I used to talk about like the multi-genre movie. Like you have a movie and it's sad. It's like a, somebody's at a funeral and it's, you know, grieving. And then you cut and it's like a porn scene and you cut back and it's a comedy. And then you cut back to, you know, it's a thriller now. It's a car chase. You know, just like, <laughs> I don't know. It was definitely one of those times uh, I didn't, one of the rare times I didn't overdose on weed and we'd have this conversation. I would smoke it, but you know, I was able to have a conversation. We'd have a conversation about the, the multi 
jarring genre movie where you just switch from one genre to the next with like really no rhyme or reason and you're just you know it's toying with you but anyway so that's how i feel this podcast is i'm talking about serious things and i'm going to my raps and then you know but it is what it is you know this this is uh, it's my podcast and uh if i'm willing to make a fool of myself rapping and by the way ted bell he made some cuts may have to release those at some point to release that record i'm gonna maybe have to do a whole album stuff but here's uh here's another one i'm gonna see if this uh will survive the edit Bitch, I majored in philosophy. My raps are wisdom, yours are sophistry. You mistake projections for a kind of prophecy. You're the kind of guy who gets a colonoscopy. When they say jump, you say how high. When they say spread it, you say how wide. You don't understand Bitcoin. You own NFTs. You think cow farts will cause climate catastrophe. It makes no sense, but you believe the edicts of authority. You're on your seventh booster. Your brain is full of spike protein. When they say jump, you say how high. When they say spread it, you say how wide. Anyway, I don't know if that'll survive the cut. I'll do one more just in case. Bitch, I majored in philosophy. My raps are wisdom, yours are sophistry. You mistake naive projections for a kind of prophecy. You're the kind of guy who gets a colonoscopy. When they say jump, you say how high. When they say spread it, you say how wide. You don't get Bitcoin, you own NFTs. You think cow farts cause climate catastrophe. It makes no sense, but you believe authority. You're on your seventh booster. Your vein is full of spike protein. Anyway, we'll see if that survives the cut. Figured I'd try it out. All right. Well, that's going to do it. Till next time.